a previously unimaginable thing has now happened for the third time. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. A former president has been indicted again. U.S. Special Counsel Jack Smith filed the latest charges against former President Donald Trump early Tuesday evening. An indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. As soon as that indictment was unsealed, reporters poured through it, digging into exactly what the government alleged Trump did. Currently I have in front of me a 45-page, four-count indictment, United States of America v. Donald Trump. Devlin Barrett reports on national security and law enforcement for The Post. This is now the third indictment against the former president that Devlin has been reporting on. But Devlin says that this one, this new one, it stands out from the rest. I think what the indictment tries to do is put Trump's actions into a bigger picture of how American government works and basically makes the argument that in a truly historic sense, what Trump set out to do was really demolish a real foundational element of our country and our government, which is the peaceful transfer of power. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Wednesday, August 2nd. Today, the latest test Donald Trump will face in the courts. And it's a significant one. Devlin helps break down the criminal charges against Trump for trying to overthrow the 2020 election. And also what this means as Trump is the current Republican frontrunner for the next presidential election. You know, Devlin, here we are again, you and I. I believe we've spoken in the past before about a historic indictment against former President Donald Trump. But we are now talking about another historic indictment. And can you just tell me what this one is about? Why are we here again? So we are here now because this indictment is about Trump's efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. And, you know, most people know the basics that after the 2020 vote count, Joe Biden was declared the winner and Trump and a number of lawyers and advocates around him embarked on a months-long campaign to try to convince state, local, and federal officials that there was massive voter fraud and that he had actually been the winner of the election. Millions and millions of people voted for us tonight, and uh, a very sad group of people is trying to disenfranchise that group of people, and we won't stand for it. We will not stand for it. That was all false. The question has been for a long time, was it criminal? And what we have now is we have the special counsel, Jack Smith, issuing a a pretty thick indictment saying, yes, in fact, it was criminal because, and this is an important element of this case, Donald Trump knew those claims were false. 
We've talked before about indictments against Donald Trump. He's facing charges in New York over alleged hush money payments in 2016. And then there's this other federal case charging Trump with mishandling classified documents found at Mar-a-Lago. How should we be thinking about this particular indictment that just came down this week from Jack Smith? How historic or consequential is this particular indictment in comparison? This new indictment about what Trump did after the election, I think gets at the heart of what a lot of Trump's biggest critics say is his worst feature, which is his seemingly uh, endless uh, antagonism toward, you know, basic democracy. But I will say for a lot of Republican voters, I think you will see them view this as the weakest and in some ways most unfair, quote unquote, of the cases because there is an argument that's going to play out here over whether or not Trump actually understood or believed or knew that he had lost. That is really at the core of this case. And there are an awful lot of Republican voters who still insist that there was massive fraud in the 2020 election, despite the facts and in staunch resistance to the facts. And, you know, in that sense, I think this case is both the most consequential potentially, but also in some ways the most vulnerable to sort of the political arguments that always surround any criminal investigation around Donald Trump. Devlin, how is prosecuting this case going to actually work? Like, who brought these charges and how exactly is this going to proceed through the justice system? This case was brought by special counsel Jack Smith, who was appointed in November of last year, basically shortly after Trump declared he was running for president. Typically, when federal charges are filed, it can be a year or more until those charges end up at trial. What Jack Smith has said is that he wants to go as fast as possible. And if you look as a comparison point, Trump was indicted in June on the classified documents case. And currently, the plan is to have that go to trial in May. I will tell you that, again, as someone who covers a lot of cases, you know, trial dates this far out are basically meaningless. It's a little like saying, well, next year I'll lose 30 pounds. <laughs> Great, sure. We'll we'll see you then and we'll see what happens. Devlin, what? You don't believe in us? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm do- oh, sorry. Me. I'll lose 30. Okay. Next year, I'll lose 30 pounds. I think one of the challenges for Smith's whole effort here is that even when he files charges, there's no guarantees that he will get either of these trials done before either the general election or the primaries. He may succeed, but the system finds ways to slow down. And mm. there are a lot of novel issues in this case. Devlin, it does feel like we have learned a lot over the past couple of years about attempts to overturn the 2020 election and Trump's possible involvement in that. And, you know, there was the impeachment of Donald Trump after the January 6th Capitol riot. Last Thursday, the United States Senate crossed one of the gravest thresholds that exists in our system of government. We began just the third presidential impeachment trial in American history. Then there was the House Select Committee investigating January 6th, and those hearings were televised and widely watched. You will hear evidence that President Trump refused for hours to do what his staff, 
his family, and many of his other advisors begged him to do, immediately instruct his supporters to stand down and evacuate the Capitol. A lot was uncovered then, but as you look at this indictment and these new charges, did you discover anything new within them or what was revelatory within them? So I think when you look at this indictment, very little of it is new information. It does offer some pretty stark conclusions about whether that conduct was criminal. Um, But the other thing I would just flag to people, because I think this is a hard thing for people who do not spend a lot of time sitting in courtrooms. Like you. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) arguably too much time. But the thing to remember about indictment is an indictment is not every piece of evidence they have. Hmm. In fact, it's often, indictments can vary. The amount of evidence in indictments can vary tremendously. So, for example, there are countless drug indictments where a major Mexican drug kingpin will will face a three-page indictment that says nothing more than so-and-so engaged in a conspiracy to distribute more than five kilograms of cocaine, period. That's all it says. And you could read that indictment and think, wow, they have nothing. They have just the accusation. It's not that they have nothing. It's that they are holding back a lot of what they view as very sensitive evidence that could lead to consequences for witnesses, lead to all sorts of potential bad effects before they get to trial. And you can't base your judgment on how strong a case this is solely based on what you read in the first indictment. So given that, what is in this indictment that you would call our attention to as being particularly noteworthy and strengthen the case here? So the indictment lays out essentially a conspiracy case. But what's interesting about it, as I, as I sort of alluded to before, most conspiracy indictments have more than one defendant by the very nature of what a conspiracy is. Here, they've done something a little different. They've charged Trump on his own. But in doing so, they have accused six co-conspirators of being part of this conspiracy. That structure, this idea of charging a conspiracy, but only one person, and then having a bunch of other co-conspirators who are not indicted yet, that's a really clear signal from the prosecutors that these Other people, including Rudy Giuliani, are under a great deal of pressure to cooperate in a manner that prosecutors deem truthful or face potential charges. Mm. So we're in a really interesting moment right now. As important as this indictment is, having been filed and made public, we are also in sort of the clock is now ticking on all these alleged co-conspirators to see if any one of them – Uh, decides to cooperate or try to um, come to some sort of terms with prosecutors to get them out of legal jeopardy. Mm -hmm. Was there anything revelatory about Trump within these charges that you you read, in addition to, you know, painting this broader narrative and structure about a conspiracy afoot? So I think so much of this indictment hinges on something that has been debated publicly for a long time, which is, Did Trump understand these are lies? And there's a couple of really key quotes in the indictment that I think speak to that. The first is when uh, Trump allegedly tells uh, his vice president, Mike Pence, as they're disagreeing about January 6th and other things, Trump says to Pence, allegedly, you're too honest. But it's important because it seems to show that Trump understands that his approach to this is dishonest. Hmm. But again, that's part of what the trial will will argue out. What has Trump said about these new charges? 
Uh, he calls it a pylon that they waited two and a half years after January 6th to file these charges to try to hurt or hinder his uh, current bid for the presidency in 2024. And, and also the campaign, the Trump campaign has escalated its rhetoric over this indictment, making comparisons to Nazi Germany, comparing the Justice Department to Nazis. That is a sign also, I think, of just how intense this battle will be. This is going to be a legal battle. It's also going to be a political battle. And those two things will have a lot of overlap. And one of the things I'm just paying attention to as we go through is a lot of Trump's answer to you know, legal attacks and legal problems has been to try to overwhelm that with political pushback. Arguably, that's what the entire 2020 effort was to undo the election to begin with. And I think one of the ways in which this will test the system, test the court system, test the legal system, test the political system, is that Trump seems to be gearing up to fight every legal problem with a very intense political firepower. And we'll have to see what wins out there. After the break, what Trump's legal battles mean for his standing among Republican voters as they pick their next presidential candidate. We'll be right back. So, Devlin, I know, and as you've discussed, that this particular indictment, it, you know, has consequential themes embedded within it about democracy and the electoral process. But we also can't ignore the fact that there is this other context that we're operating in, and that is the upcoming presidential race. And so I wonder, with these indictments, how are Republican voters responding to this? I will say one of the most observable features of the last few months has been as he has been hit with multiple indictments, he has, if anything, solidified his position as the leader in the GOP field. I think one of the, you know, sort of really interesting dynamics of the politics of this is that a lot of Republican primary voters seem to take the indictments as if anything, a bit of uh, confirmation that Trump is treated unfairly and that Trump is targeted unfairly. I think on the Democratic side, you have seen for a very long time an almost pure faith belief that the legal system will somehow deal with Trump in a way that makes him a non-entity in the political system. And I think there is very little evidence for that belief. I, I don't quite track how when sometimes people say, well, this indictment changes everything. Well, the last two didn't. The next one probably won't either. I don't know that anyone should keep expecting the legal system or the court system to alter the political landscape, particularly when it comes to Donald Trump. Devlin, I'm also wondering about the way this trial could impact Trump's ability to campaign. And also, what do we know about how he's financing his legal battles. One of the real bizarre elements of this whole time period is that Trump's single largest expense as a candidate, essentially, if you look at his Safe America PAC, is legal fees, legal costs. He's already spent tens of millions of dollars on this. 
as you go toward trial, these costs only get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we've already seen just from the public filings that he is, in a sense, running low on money. And so that's another thing to keep close tabs on. You know, at some point, does the money crunch become such that uh, he faces a different kind of problem in addition to all his other problems? Mm-hmm. The, I, w- I will say one of the things that you also see, though, as you as you follow Trump is that, you know, every time there is a significant legal action against him in the immediate aftermath, at least, he gets a lot of fresh donations. Uh, there will be a cash infusion to his political action committee as a direct result of this indictment. But I also wonder if this indictment, just some of the logistics around it of like having to show up for court dates and and that sort of thing could impact him showing up on the campaign trail. It certainly could. I mean, I, I will say I think judges overall are likely to be somewhat deferential to his campaign schedule when they can. You know, judges are, as a general rule, loathe to do anything that seems to be infringing on a defendant's rights. In this case, it would be First Amendment rights, both in terms of political activity and speech. And so I think what you've seen so far is judges trying to essentially not be captive to Trump's political schedule. But that becomes much harder to do if you're talking about the primary season, which is very hectic and fast-paced, or, you know, the the nominating conventions and everything after the nominating conventions. And, and, and what has President Biden said about these indictments and how is he handling this? Because it must be somewhat of an awkward dynamic, right? Because he is the president of the United States, and at least some of these are federal indictments. And at the same time, Trump is potentially his main political rival. So what are the calculations that Biden is facing right now and navigating this moment? Well, that very concern is what led to the appointment of the special counsel to begin with. That's why Jack Smith was given this very special job and sort of made partly independent from the Justice Department because the attorney general of the United States does report to the president. And Trump's main line of attack against these criminal accusations is that this is all just the Biden administration coming after me to try to knock me out of the race. So Biden himself, the White House generally uh, have tried to stay as far away from this as possible. I've not spoken once, not one single time with the attorney general on any specific case, not once. This is an ongoing case. I'm just not going to respond uh, to um, to any hypotheticals that's uh, currently, um, you know, out there in the world. And insisted that they are not talking to the Justice Department about this. They insist over and over. They find out when the public finds out when Trump has been indicted. And what they're trying to do at the Justice Department is give the public confidence that this is being handled fairly and not for political purposes. It's just being handled as a criminal case that happens to involve politicians. I will say, as someone who's covered the department for a long time, um, the challenge of any case involving a politician is you sort of right from the get-go, you have uh, an audience with a baked-in belief in a person's guilt, and you have another chunk of audience with a baked-in belief of the person's innocence. And often the department and investigators struggle to, to overcome those assumptions that are, that are out there in the public. So, Devlin, what are you watching for next, both in this case, this indictment that just came down 
on Tuesday and what could be the next indictment that comes down against Donald Trump. In the short term, what's next is that Trump is due to appear in federal court Thursday for the initial court appearance for this new indictment. Then we are likely to see some sort of action uh, in Georgia where the district attorney in Fulton County has been pursuing a criminal case on many of the same issues that are charged in this new indictment, issues about January 6th, issues about the 2020 election. So before this month is over, we may see a fourth indictment. One of the things that uh, we are still dealing with in this country are all the legal and political aftershocks of January 6th and all the events of 2020. And I think the next place we will see that play out is in Georgia. Devlin, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Devlin Barrett is a reporter covering national security and law enforcement for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Eliza Dennis and Gabe O'Connor. It was mixed by Sam Baer and edited by Monica Campbell. If you're looking for the latest updates on the big news of the day, check out our morning news briefing, The Seven. The podcast is hosted by my colleague Jeff Pierre, and he brings you the seven stories you need to know about every weekday morning by 7 a.m. I definitely rely on it every morning, and you can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen.